Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is our friend, Fraser Brown. Fraser, welcome to the show. Hello. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. It is a beautiful springtime in Boston, and uh, as soon as the show is over, I'm probably going to be taking a stroll around the city uh, and enjoy its, its, its salad days, as it were, before the heat of summer washes <laughs> over us and we all broil to death. It's unusually lovely in Scotland as well. I don't trust it, and I won't be leaving the flat for a week. Good plan. Always advisable. Bad things happen outside the house. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about Star Drive 2 and what it gets right about ship design uh, and some thoughts it's provoked about endgame design in 4X games. And Fraser, you and I both reviewed the game. Um, I reviewed it for IGN and you reviewed it for PC Games N. And we came to, I think, slightly different conclusions. And I think I ended up liking mm. the game just a little bit more. But... Um, so, Fraser, why don't you get us started and tell us a little bit about uh, Star Drive 2, how it differs from its predecessor, and uh, what it, what it's up to. So, the original kind of just popped up uh, a few couple years ago, a few years ago, um, developed by one-man developer, Zero Sum Games. Uh, it was a, a real-time 4X game, and while that is kind of evokes images of Sins of the Solar Empire, it, it, was, it was quite different. But in the end, I think a lot of people really wanted it to be uh, Masters Orion, and that's actually what Zero Sum has kind of tried to craft in Star Drive 2. It does, in many ways, play like uh, a modern Moo 2, um, but it's not quite as good, and it has quite a few problems when it comes to diplomacy and AI. Um, but it's it's one of those 4X games that also does a lot of things just really phenomenally. The, the overall package might not be impressive, but there are just some things in there that it's it's worth taking stock off. I think for it, mostly it's in warfare. This is very much a, a combat-driven 4X game, um, which I'm, it makes me kind of wonder if it really is a, a proper 4X game when exterminate is so you know is the prevailing. Or arguably, X, it's the purest really of the 4X. Yeah, that, see, that's the thing because of course the original 4X games were more about warfare, and then it kind of got a little bit more complicated with. In a planetary management and things like that. Um, whereas uh, Star Drive 2 kind of strips away almost all of that and just kind of leaves this massive galactic war where every single one of the races is just at each other's throat, developing more powerful weapons. And it, it's just an eternal war, um, which can be quite fun because the, the combat is actually probably its strongest part. Yeah, and this is this has actually been one of the weird surprises of Star Drive Two. I uh, I frankly hated Star Drive One. Uh, I gave it a I gave it a very negative review, and then it inspired me to uh, do a show with Paul Dean about why I was kind mm. of sick of the entire space 4X notion. Uh, why I was just exhausted mm -hmm. with this genre and the apparently unpayable debt it owes to Mu2. Uh, <laughs> and, and so Paul and I sort of sort of did an entire show like sort of bagging on how often these games are working from the same playbook. And uh, I talked about how much I just generally despise ship construction in strategy games uh, because generally I don't find it pays off enough to be worth the fuss uh, because if obviously if you have a big space empire it doesn't matter if your ships aren't that great uh, because your empire is going to be able to churn out a lot of them right mm. but it's just generally not a thing I enjoy doing 
But here in Star Drive 2, I found that it was something I really got into. And I think part of that is there's some interesting things going on with the technology tree. Uh, the fact that they come in bundles. Every every there there's several different groups of technologies that you pick from, uh, and then they're all bundled in groups of like two or three. And once you research one technology in that bundle, the others are not available. Uh, the only way you're able to get those is if you steal them from another culture or trade uh, w- w- with another empire. So what ends up happening is that everyone ends up having a very different sort of set of technologies that they use to build ships, which actually makes, you know, fleet to fleet, people can be at a similar different level of development in this game, but have completely different threat profiles, which is actually really interesting. And it's something I really got into was thinking about, okay, I think I'm going to be fighting uh, the Sunflower Dudes. And the Sunflower Dudes <laughs> are great on shields and energy weapons, but crap projectile weapons. What am I going to do here? And that affects how I design my ships. But if I'm going to war with someone else with a different set of technologies and builds their ships a different way, that's something I need to take into account, and it might even require me retrofitting a bunch of my ships so that I'm prepared for the next war. Which is actually really, really cool. And I think it works. I think it just works better in this game. Ship design seems less fussy. And the weird thing is in Star Drive 1, I didn't find it actually made that much of a difference. I was able to, in Star Drive 1, I could leave a bunch of weapons just sort of all facing forward firing arc. It didn't really matter. Just load whatever fit onto the ship, just send it out there, and I would just sort of steamroll uh, star systems. That doesn't happen here. Once once you go into those battles, uh, you really need to be like paying attention to how the enemy is fighting you and how your ships are using their systems and where they're engaging. Uh, and I found it just really, really cool. What I often find myself doing when I, I start a new war with a race that I hadn't really dealt with before, um, the first battle I would consider a sort of freebie. You know, I usually have at least like maybe, you know, two fleets big fleets knocking about, and I would send the, the shittier one that I didn't mind losing into that first battle. Um, it would be, you know, loaded with the same sorts of weapons that my stronger fleet had, but just not as powerful. Um, and then at the end of the battle, if I lost, I'd still ha- I'd have all this information about, you know, the quality of the ships and how they did against each other, what ship was the, the you know, the best ship in the match, and, and what ship got destroyed the quickest um, and then after that battle I, it, I was able to, to change my strategy uh, maybe kind of it would even maybe inspire future research um, and it, it, it did feel that like the battles don't just they're not just these kind of things that take place in a vacuum they they kind of create these situations outside of the battles forcing you to approach other aspects of the game in a different way like research um, so yeah, I, I really, really, uh, really like the battles. Um, I also thought that creating these ships was really fun as well. At first, it's kind of bewildering because you have so many components and, and each ship is kind of split yep. into like a, 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 basically a big grid and you can just plonk down kind of energy uh, and kind of fuel and weapons and things like that. But on the right-hand side, there's a list of things that you need to put on the ship for it to function. A sort of kind of guide, basically, a tutorial that's always there. And you tend to just go down this checklist and make sure you have all the appropriate components. And once you've got that, you can start really experimenting and you know the ship will work. 
Um, it's just a matter of how effective it will be against these different alien foes. Yeah, uh, the ship the ship building gives you a lot more tools and hints as to what kind of ship you're building. And that's really helpful because it let it takes it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Like no, you, you can you definitely know now when you're building a ship. Like okay, it's going to run out of ammunition in exactly this many seconds of combat, and that's hugely yeah. valuable information. Because and it, sometimes it's worth it having a ship that has only like forty five seconds of ammunition, because you can you know you know you know you can sort of tune your you can tune your fleet for like. Look, we're gonna knock them out hard and fast. Like if fight if the fight goes on longer than two minutes, I've lost. So this is how I'm building my ships. It's actually really, really cool stuff. And you know, it hits all the This is so this is so weird that I'm actually like singing the praises of a ship design component uh, in a game. Like this is, this is truly <laughs> bizarre. But okay, so what I like what I like about the concept of ship design is that it is this process of endless trade-offs like every single thing you do uh is you know you want to be better in one way while well, you're giving up abilities in in another way um you know mm-hmm. if you ever re- if you read uh massey's castle uh dreadnought which is the story of the uh the arms race between uh, the uk and and germany you you discover that like kaiser wilhelm uh would drive his admirals absolutely insane because he never understood the trade-offs he was always like well, why can't you make the ship faster and they'd be like well because then we have to remove the armor he's like oh easy just just put more armor on well then we need a bigger engine <laughs> then give it a bigger engine but then the ship is heavier and he never he never understood this he, he, he always just thought like just fix whatever the weakness was what i like about this is it really does feel like there is progress, like when you when you unlock a new um, power source for your ship, that confers tremendous advantages because now you have to dedicate less and less space to having reactors, and that means more space yeah. for armor, ammunition, weapons, uh, auxiliary systems. Very cool stuff. But by and large, um, that that's that's kind of rare, especially because the weapons, the more advanced weapons, also consume more, and so there's this constant feeling of like. I'm always torn between designing spa- like ships that are specialists and ships that are generalists, and it's it, it's it's a it was a consistently interesting process as I was designing ships, trying to figure out like, is this thing going to be like, is this a ship I want to be good in every battle, or do I want to excel at one particular role? This is going to be my long range sniper, and that's all it's going to do. But then once the range closes to you know close uh it's going to be useless and that's these are all interesting things and as you're building your 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 ship designs there you're you're sort of designing battle plans in your head as you're designing these ships and figuring out how how they're going to interact and i absolutely love that and the rts battles look really good more importantly i think the um the battles themselves give you a tremendous amount of insight about how these ships are actually fighting i I felt that it was kind of reminiscent of the, the slightly more 3D battles of, of Sins of the Solar Empire. Because you just have this massive fleet and the lasers are just crisscrossing the screen. It's very dramatic. Lots of explosions going off everywhere. Even though, unlike Sins, it, you're actually put on this sort of like battle map that's separate from the rest of the game. Um, but, you know, they, they put little bits in there like you've got a planet or some asteroids. They're all just cosmetic and don't have any effect on the battle. It's just a 2D plane. Um, but I think, yeah, they, they really kind of captured the atmosphere quite well. Um, although one thing I really wanted to, to find out if you what you thought about this was 
I felt that when I was fighting an enemy, I was fighting their technology. I wasn't really fighting an AI opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. They were always very much... What tech they had defined how they would fight. And if I knew what they had, then I knew exactly how to defeat them. There weren't, there weren't really any surprises after that first battle. And they feel very much set in their way. And I think that's probably how the AI is designed for these battles. It's like, well, you've got th- these types of guns, this type of hull, and this is how you're going to use them, and it's not really going to deviate. And I thought that was a little bit disappointing. Um, I don't think it, it really stopped the battles from being fun, because actually you can often end up facing a, a much more powerful army and kind of just getting through by the skin of your teeth because you know how to maybe cheat the uh, the system mm-hmm. a little bit and, and steal victory from the jaws of defeat. And that's always nice. Um, and because, you know, at the actual kind of the stuff that goes into designing the ships is so compelling, it, it still makes it worthwhile. You know, I, I definitely did feel like there was a little bit of a cookie cutter effect once the AI was building its own ships. Like sort of what they had, mm-hmm. they were they were going to churn out. And it was just sort of a matter of exactly what you said. The first battle, you kind of learn what they got. And in the second battle, yeah. you start cleaning house. Um, yeah. But I think the other issue I would run into is that the AI itself, and this is this is an interesting thing, because actually this game has been patched so much that it's been hard to keep up how it's developed in just like the week and a half since I reviewed it. Because uh, I noticed even by the end of my review, certain things seem to be getting tightened up, like... Uh, the graphics on level three, for instance. No, um, <laughs> like when I like when I first started playing the game, every single battle, the AI would just do the suicide swarm at me. Like it was, it was just mm-hmm. you'd set your watch by it. Like they would start on one side of the map and just race across and just get lit up. Like I, th- what I had to do was I had to build ships that were really good at just point blank just destruction uh, because there were only a few early shots before it just closed the point blank range. You could basically just set them all up in a row, make oh, sure yeah. that you've got all these lovely missiles, but then also kind of point defense to deal with their missiles, and then just not move at all. Yeah. It's like you've created a battle line, <laughs> and they just <laughs> rush at you, and then they're gone. Yeah, you can always cross the T, right? Like, that's yeah. that's kind of how it felt. But toward the end of my review, I was noticing that I was running into more and more AI uh, opponents that were actually using standoff uh, yeah. tactics. So, like, what they would do is they'd send their crappy little corvettes forward, um, or you know, maybe a couple like tankier ships, and they'd race forward and get in my face. But then they'd have like a group of like snipers, basically providing long range fire that was constant, uh, and it became much more of a it became a much more tactically uh, sophisticated game as I started to have to figure out, like, okay, I need to take out these guys in my face, but then I can't let these guys sit back there and just, you know, plink away at me. I've got to get them, too. And so, like, the battles got more interesting as as my time with the game went on. I don't know if that was patching or I just started seeing some uh, AI that had started building their ships differently with greater diversity. But it was it was really cool. To, to sort of see, to see that unfold. Uh, I, I, I do wish I got the sense that the AI is playing the same ship design game that I am, but I totally understand why it isn't. Um, and I still really enjoyed sort of mashing myself against what technology th- they do have. And I, the other thing that I would run into a little bit is that I didn't always find 
my ship behavior to be as natural as I would like. Like, you can set rules of engagement for your ships, right? Like, mm-hmm. here's the optimal range that you should try to maintain. And you should try to fight from the broadside or nose forward. And those are two important choices. But the thing is, once you gave ships those commands, like try to engage from, you know, inside of 1,600 meters uh, and fight from the broadside, the ship would actually start doing that almost to the, like, detriment of everything else. Like, the sh- like once you gave ships their, their rules of engagement, they were really, really um, hidebound to them. Blinkered, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and it would be a little bit frustrating when, like, I would design a ship basically to engage nose-on, head-on at long range, and then swing around given the broadsides at closer range. Like, that was a pretty standard ship design for me, and I don't think it was crazy. Mm. But I found very few ships that were actually capable of doing it without a ton of micromanagement, right? Yeah. Where it turned into, oh, God, just just turn on your side. Stop, stop trying to, like, stop backing away and trying to get back to max range. Like, get in their face. But you, you really had to micro that stuff. Yeah, and with with the limited ammunition as well, you really need to keep control. You don't want them to just run out of missiles halfway through the battle, and suddenly you've got all of these lovely, deadly ships that are actually just scrap, basically. Speaking of which, you know what I? You know what I, I'm curious if you discovered this as well. What I discovered was the king of the battlefield was the electronic countermeasure point defense ship. Ah, yes. Very, very, like, go ahead. No, I like just I I thought like it's really cool to see to see all the like missiles streaking out from the two formations of ships and everything. <laughs> but if you've got a couple ships with uh, electronic countermeasures on board where they can jam missiles, and I think they jam them at a rate of like one missile every two seconds. And if you've got a couple of those in your fleet. That's actually a sizable number of missiles that you're getting jamming attempts on. And then if those same ships are also covered in point defense weapons, uh, you can basically create like this perfect like shield around your fleet from all guided weapons. It's really, really cool. It's a beautiful thing seeing this tidal wave of missile trails coming towards you and then as they reach a certain point, Poof, they're all gone. Um, yeah. I, you know, it kind of makes me think, you know, it almost makes me want to play against humans uh, just so I can hear their screams of anguish. Um, it was very satisfying. And you can you can use those tactics um, before you've got, like, the kind of higher tier tech. You can actually create these really nice kind of almost like shield walls. Um, yeah. Like, right from the get-go, basically. Um, I, I never felt that I was limited um, by the, the kind of military tech um, just because I was in the early game. Uh, you kind of get the same types of options throughout the game. It's just that when it gets further ahead, you get more of them. Um, but they're still in that same kind of area. Um, so you're still able to keep doing the tactics you were doing right at the beginning of the game. Now, I'm curious, because you played this game... Uh... And I and I ended up skipping it. Uh, Gratuitous Space Battles Two. Mm. Um, I, I'm curious how this sort of stacks up in terms of because that's a very pure game. That's 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 a very pure game about ship design. Yeah, right? it's purely because it's completely hands off. Uh, after you uh, build your fleet and engage an enemy, you just have to watch it play out. Now, beforehand, you can give ships like orders, like you can tell some ships to protect 
um, others, either by destroying enemies coming towards them or healing them. The, the, the new uh, uh, Gratuitous Space Battles 2 has added a lot of kind of like healing rays and support stuff, which is kind of nifty. Um, but yeah, it, it, you've you really sink or swim based on how you've designed the ships. And even if you are watching the battle and go, oh, I can, I can see an opening there, you can't do anything. You're screwed. Um, it's kind of it's kind of frustrating at the same time. Uh, but then you just go back to the drawing board. You, you know, much like uh, Star Drive 2, you get a sort of um, all of these details at the end of the match, and then you kind of yeah. rebuild your fleet accordingly. Um, but it is purely about ship design. Um, yeah. And then, of course, there's also the, the, the tactics or strategies before the actual battle begins. But the ship design is the most important aspect. Yeah, and it's interesting. that it, like I played Gratuitous Tank Battles, and mm-hmm. that just left me cold because I just didn't find the the tank design all, all now, that interesting. Tank Battles was a little bit like tower defense wasn't it? If I recall. Yes, it was, it was very tower defense Yeah, see, that's, that's nothing like... GSB, which is just it's like you have two two armadas and they collide. Um, and one thing I will say is the new one. Um, I played it for preview. I never reviewed it, and I haven't I haven't actually played the finished version. Although the the beta version I played was very nearly complete. Um, the battles are beautiful. Um, uh, Cliff's kind of played around with a lot with a lot of lighting, and he's added so much customization to the ships. You can have like fuchsia. Uh, Federation cruisers from like Star Trek, um, fighting like bright yellow Cylon esque um, yeah. fighters, and it's just it's hideously gaudy and very seventies, and I absolutely adore it. Um, it's got a very unique look. That sounds very cool. I have to give it a give it a shot because um, I, I I probably shouldn't like gratuitous tank battles. Um, be be my only exposure to the gratuitous series. No, I mean I've I've not played the I've not played tank battles, but everything I've heard about it sounds very different. Um and I hate to say it, but spaceships are much cooler than tanks. They 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 really are. Um <laughs> so going back to Star Drive 2, uh one of the things that one of the things that I think we diverged on is that you really didn't like the fact that it was winner take all there there was only war yeah i mean i un- i totally understand that a lot of people just want war and there are a lot of games that i like that are just about war i mean i love war games um but in a 4x game i really do want more and i i don't think it's necessary criticism of of star drive 2 because it's clear from the outset the, the goals of, of Zero Sum was to make this very like, hyper-aggressive uh, space war game. Um, I mean, they've even, it's even got, like, you know, ammunition and things like that. It does actually feel quite war gamey, to be honest. It, it, it's not a war game, but it certainly has aspects yeah. of one. Um, but I ended up feeling just a little bit bored. I wanted to be able to engage with the alien races without kind of flying into their their space with a massive armada and just shooting everyone up. I mean, you can engage in diplomacy, but it is very half-hearted. Um, and an alien race who has just... See, this is the one thing that, that infuriated me, was that, um, and this happened multiple times, I would 
chat with an alien race that I just met and we'd maybe have a treaty going on and we'd maybe have just started uh, trading and it's, it's beneficial for both of us. And the next turn, just after we started this agreement, they declare war. Now, what, they have wasted their turn creating this treaty. It's not logical. Um, now, there's an argument that, well, in lots of games, people are going to, or AI and players, will break treaties because they see um, an opening. They spot a weakness and they're like, well, I don't really care that I've got a treaty. I want to exploit this. But that wasn't really what was happening. It was just that the, fa the factions um, are so very aggressive that they become myopic. Um, it doesn't matter that it's not necessarily to their benefit. They will declare war. Um, and it really reached a climax when I was, um, and this is the first time I noticed it, but then I noticed it with other factions as well. It's the, the squid guys who worship the Elder Gods. They're all very Cthulhu. Um, I the Ralia. Ralia, yeah. Um, I had completely annihilated them. They had like one world left and a pitiful little fleet. Now, we had, yep. a, we had a peace treaty because, to be honest, I was starting to kind of get a bit bored of this war and also had other things to deal with. So I, I you know, accepted a peace treaty. Um, the very moment that peace treaty ended, they declared war on me. Now, I have a massive galactic space empire with, like, four fleets going around. I can wipe them off the face of the galaxy without even having to think about it. And they declared war. And it was just so stupid. And I could have just kind of defeated their fleet, not taken their planet, agreed to a peace treaty, and I guarantee that at the end of that peace treaty, they would declare war again. And it serves no purpose because it's impossible for them at that point to defeat me. They don't have the ships, the resources. It's just monumentally stupid where they could have started colonizing other worlds because there were worlds for them to colonize um, and maybe try and make some more deals with me, butter me up and then wait for me to get weak or to forget all about them and then stab me in the back. Um, so it wasn't just that it's all about war. I don't mind that. It's that sometimes it's just it's so illogical. There needs to be these kind of breaks in war. And they just it, the the AI just doesn't want that. It wants to always be fighting. Yeah, I I think there's a few things uh, a few things going on, and I should mention uh, again at this point that um th this game is being patched at a pretty furious clip, and which is great. Like it's it's interesting. Like there was a there was a diplomacy patch released uh, just just a few days ago that actually addresses a number of the uh, diplomatic issues we had in our reviews. But what I haven't seen change is this, um, yeah, the, the, this sort of weather vane approach to, to war and kind of AI, the AI not always understanding its place in the pecking order. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's weird. I had the exact same experience with the Ralia a, a couple times, actually, which, which was I had them beaten. They were done. And I would be making a peace offer and, I, you know, I would expect not only, you know, should I get peace, but they should probably give me something uh, to, to refrain from wiping them out. And they'd be like, you know, you, you make the offer and you'd see that they're assessing it as them offering you peace <laughs> with their crappy one little planet that they're down to and no fleet. They would weigh it so that them offering you peace was them doing you a small favor. 
it's kind of like trying to argue with a baby. You're never going to win. Um, yeah. It's going to keep having a tantrum, and it doesn't understand logic or reason. All it knows is that it's in a foul mood and it wants to ruin your day. And that's kind of what the, the aggressive factions are all about. There are a couple of not-as-aggressive factions, but they are just as unusual and, and inconsistent um, as their uh, aggressive chums. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange thing. And, and the, I think you're, you're spot on, though, when you, when you say that that these wars need breaks you need it's a it becomes a pacing issue and i think my my overall problem with the way star drive 2 works right now is that it ends up taking on the dynamics of a risk game but you're not playing risk risk actually sort of has a lot of like snowball things that that drive the game to a quick end and because you're playing with other people the game balances itself. Every other player can read the map and be like, well, we need to deal with, you know, we need to deal with Fraser over there because he's got half of Asia and most of Europe and soon he's going to get the Continental bonus and we have to stop him. And that sort of takes care of of making sure that like the, the game is balanced. What ends up what I'm seeing happening in in this game a lot is that I seem to be the only person who's aware that someone is snowballing out of control that there's no real there, there's no there's i never get a sense that the other players the other ai players have recognized we all share a mutual threat and we need to stop fighting each other the ai doesn't seem to view the game in the, in, in in that larger context i think it can see uh, threats i think the issue is that it's so aggressive that it doesn't then think we need to team up to defeat this threat it's very much oh shit there's a threat i'm just gonna throw everything at it and hope for the best well and there's not really any alliance mechanics no you can have you can have like a peace treaty which is is pretty solid like i haven't seen the like the ai doesn't go back on those uh but outside of that there's no way you can say okay we're both making an alliance to take on the uh, Volfon. Yeah, We're going to deal no, with like, these guys defensive together. Defensive or military. And I, I, I didn't spot any way to just say, like, let's attack this planet together. You know, there is no way to really make a plan, um, which, was yeah. a, which was an issue. Um, but I didn't even, in the end, I kind of gave up trying to be friends with anyone in the galaxy because the issue is that... So you can make these kind of pacts and deals. There, diplomacy does exist in this galaxy. But in the, the review version that I played, and as Rob said, it's, it's changed um, uh, quite a bit since we both reviewed it. Um, in that version, diplomacy was so half-arsed that it wasn't fun to actually engage with at all. It did kind of make you just think, Christ, I do want to just blow all these buggers up. Um <laughs> And just get rid of them because they're all terrible. There were there were certain things like that that drove me insane. Like all the races have personalities, but it ended up turning into a thing where those personalities started to piss me off. Um, like the the uh, the mollusk dudes, the um, how, you know the people who, who the, the, enslaved with the owl slaves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the 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 zine. Yes. Okay. I could never. Get them to take a fair deal. They always wanted more. They always wanted the deal to favor them. And they would refuse to take any deal 
that did not give them something a little extra. No other race behaved this way for me. Mm. Only the Cordrazine. They were always like, okay, that's a perfectly equitable deal. You're giving me things of the exact same value. So we're not going to take it. We need a little more. Because that's the thing. When you see you see the value they ascribe to certain things. So it's not like a situation where you're like, oh, that's what it's worth, but they actually think it's worth more. You see exactly what they think it's worth. Yeah. Um, and then when they're still not doing the deal, it's kind of frustrating. Well, and also, like, maybe it's a cool little bit of, like, fictional, like, you know, like, okay, the Cortezine are these manipulative assholes. They definitely have and this... personalities. There are scripts that each faction yeah. follows. Definitely. But it just made me want to murder him. Because it was like, okay, I guess, like, doing deals with you is just a waste of time now. Mm. Because I'm going, it, it, I'm taking a loss on every deal. So, to hell with you. Uh, and that so that, that just that ended up sort of grading on me. But, but what's interesting is the diplomacy isn't bad all the way through. Um, like I liked the idea of tolerance being a thing you had to measure. Yes. That every time you interact with other races, your empire will only let you go so far. I think that that is, like because there there were things a little bit like that in the original Star Drive. It wasn't as fleshed out, but you still had sort of. It was like personalities and traits and things like that. So you could see how the different races felt about things and felt about you. I think like it was yeah. like how much fear they had or how much respect they had. Um, but I think kind of creating this tolerance system where it's not about the diplomat or the leader. It's about the actual people, the faction itself. Is um, Yeah, it, it's really cool. It's actually, uh, it reminds me a little bit of um, our chum Chris King's uh, 4X game Galactic Inheritors because they uh, he has a sort of propaganda system where you cannot declare war on another race without your civilization backing you and to do that you have to create all this negative propaganda to make your people think that this race deserves to be wiped off the face of the galaxy um, and I, I like it when, when games strategy games remember that they're actually people that were meant to be ruling and not just planets or cities or armies yeah yeah and, and that certainly comes through in this game like when you have a mixed population planet mm -hmm. uh there's there's strife within the empire uh which i i usually just didn't fiddle with that i would uh, i think your solution was genocide mine was segregation <laughs> yes always like a bit of genocide but but the uh, but the, the the other thing is that Theoretically, I enjoyed Star Drive 2's purity of purpose. That it's like, you know, listen, it's all just about killing the other guy. That's all this. Like, the the studio is named Zero Sum. Like, it's, it, it's, it's pretty, like, upfront about what you're going to be doing here. But it doesn't work as well as it seems like it should. And I think part of that is 4X games get pretty grim when... All you can do is just keep grinding through the enemy's troops mm -hmm. and territory. And there's no, there's not even an incentive to stop. Like, why would you? Because you have to kill everyone. So if you're beating someone, you beat them into the ground as hard as you can. But that usually means that every war stops being interesting. Every successful war stops being interesting. Like, you win the key battles. So you have the cool, like, the first, the, the opening stages, and then you have the big fleets clash, and then you've kicked their ass. And now you can kind of run the table on them. 
And at that point, it's just about building a space highway to get your ships and soldiers out to their territory, invade it, nuke it, conquer it, colonize it, blah, 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 blah. And then you have to repeat that again and again with every other race. It's not it the just, sort of game that inspires you to play another game. Once you've kind of defeated the galaxy and you've, you know, you've won the match, because it's treated like a, a match, a sport. There's a little robot man who's, you know... You hated the announcer. Oh, I thought you, God, I, I hated him so much. It, it's so weird. When you start the game, this little robot dude pops up and he announces, because he's like a sports commentator. It's very Frozen Cortex. It, it is. It, it's very like, it welcome to another episode of, yeah, it's, it's like, like you're a reality show contestant. New races have appeared in the galaxy, and they're going to vie for control. Who's going to win this round of, you know, galactic conquest? And it's just so stupid. And I, I have no problem with, with 4X games being irreverent, um, even though I'm kind of a boring guy, so I actually quite like them being serious. Um, <laughs> but this was just dumb. It was it, like oh, I, I, I kind of enjoyed the little interviews with the just the batshit insane people you meet in the galaxy. I, I kind of enjoyed the announcer trying to sort of react to like the Ralia, like giving a death prophecy oh, God, for the galaxy. No. It was like 1950s comedy. <laughs> it was just the worst. Um, yeah, I honestly, I couldn't. I actually ended up just skipping all of that sort of stuff. Um, I thought that the the dialogue with the the different faction leaders was a little bit better, but again, it's all played for laughs. Um, and when you've got a game that's all about war, all about conquest, where like every time you bombard a planet, you can actually choose to bombard the infrastructure. And let's face it, when you're destroying infrastructure, what are you also destroying? A lot of innocent civilians. Um, and it just it kind of almost bothered me that it's like, oh yeah. All this murder and mayhem and destruction, but like actually everything's just a giant joke and it's actually sport. Um, it kind of removed any sort of uh, drama or I, attention. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I I don't know if like if the game is going to be about that though, and you go serious, mm. then you have literally made a game about just like genociding your way across the galaxy. And yeah. it's all like I don't know. Like I, I think I, think, I, I like to think about these sorts of things, the consequences of of these sorts of actions. Um, it's like why I quite like that Galsiv has has kind of dabbled with morality systems, um, because I think that when you when you're playing a leader and you aren't, because as much as this has many aspects of a war game, you are still controlling planets and individuals and managing resources. You're still kind of fostering a civilization. Um, and I like to kind of feel like a leader, and a leader has those sorts of concerns. Um, whereas I'm, I kind of feel in, in, in a Star Drive 2, I'm more like this sort of sentient weapon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a bit of that. I also started to feel like because it's all about extermination, the snowball effects seem a little too extreme in this game. Mm. Like basically it was it was just expand as quickly as you possibly can, build the stuff so you can support larger fleets, expand more. And there are little nods to like deepening your empire, like there's a research penalty for for expanding uh but the thing is, the entire game, like if you if you don't take those systems, someone else will. 
yeah. and they'll get the resources and they'll be able to churn out ships. So you just need to expand. And then if you expand right up to your neighbor, then you got to kill them because they can't have those worlds because they'll turn them against you. And it ends up being this thing where it's just like, you just have to have the biggest empire. And it becomes, I think what I, what I missed a little bit is that when everything is about just getting super huge and then steamrolling everything, it, it gets a little bit monotonous also from a tactical perspective. Like, you know, like I, I think uh, what I wanted a little more from this game was like a like viable paths like instead of everyone playing as Soviet Russia in like the 40s and 50s and just sort of just rolling over everyone i think it would have been interesting to have like the option to be an empire that's a little more like you know protossy right like mm-hmm. smaller but like deadly as hell uh stuff like that and i just i i don't that that doesn't seem to happen here it, it really just seems to be like er, like your 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 virtuous your your virtuous cycle is just expand, build ships up to your cap. Actually, build more ships than your cap because uh, you always need more ships. Leave them in harbor. They won't count against your command point level. Uh, and then uh, send them out and just kill the other guy with these huge mobs of ships. And always conquer more territory so you can have even bigger mobs of ships. And that just that that got a little bit that that gets a little bit monotonous. I yeah I I completely agree. And I I found expansion to be quite tiring. Um. Normally in a 4X game, when I expand, and I think how most people play, is they're looking for the choice worlds. They're looking for worlds where their race can thrive, where they've maybe got special bonuses, yada, yada, yada. And to a certain extent, especially in the very beginning, that's exactly what you're doing in Star Drive 2. Yeah, your first couple worlds are choice worlds. But then you realize that the AI gives zero shits about the world it colonizes. It colonizes a world because it's bloody there. Um... And it's incredibly frustrating because then you're like, okay, I'm actually just taking this world, which is a big undertaking because a lot of the time, if if a world, is, most of the worlds actually have like penalties, basically, yep. um, like fifty percent production down and all this other stuff, and you are losing money with all of these worlds because you and. It doesn't matter, though. You've had to grab them because if you don't, someone else is, and it might be right next to your empire, and suddenly they have like a jumping-off point for an invasion. Um, and I don't mind that happening occasionally, but that's what expansion is completely about in it. It's, it's taking everything. It's not yeah. being smart. Yes, and that means that... It's not the interface is, is, is really that bad, though it's a little click-heavy to like load troops on transports mm. and like getting things. There's know, also quite like, a bit of automation as well. Like The trade is all completely automated. Yeah, yeah. But when you have to conquer a dozen crap worlds, that's an awful lot of it just administration, just like ferrying troops around and reloading by like virus bombs on your ships. Uh, there, there's an awful lot of that and it gets, it, it does drag the game down a little bit. What was interesting though. I, I, I think what really, what, what, what I found interesting is that it's games that have other victory conditions actually create more variable, combat situations as well wars become a little more interesting like after playing this i was like trying to figure out why this didn't work for me as well as i thought it would so i went back to endless legend 
Uh, we've been talking about it a few weeks ago, and I decided to give it another shot. And hey, guess what? Still an awesome game. Yeah, I've actually um, been doing exactly that. <laughs> oh god, it's it, and it's actually so much better than it was even a year ago. Yeah, uh, it's it's they've expanded it a lot. Uh, it just works better. And there's it, a premium expansion now, Guardians, which I'm very eager oh. to play. Okay, well, yes, absolutely. The old enemies to... of the endless. Ooh, all right. Oh, so that's that's uh, that's on the uh, agenda. <laughs> um, but I went back and I started playing it. And just had a standard game. I was like in second place, uh, going for a science victory. Um, also a second place on points. And uh, the person who was leading was going for a quest victory. And then there was someone else who just seemed to be going for a points victory. I'm not sure what they were doing, but they were just huge. And as the end game started, uh, and it wasn't like it wasn't just like the last ten turns. Like we we were still like a hundred turns out from from the end of the game, if not more. But it became clear that all the other factions are starting to look at who's going to win. And all hell broke loose. And it was <laughs> awesome. Because you had the guys who were ahead on points suddenly threw everything into this like epic war with the people who were winning the quest victory. And so suddenly they're just ripping the hell out of each other. And that's gone crazy. And then one of my neighbors... Uh, starts on starts down the quest victory at that point i'm like well guess i gotta deal with these guys and so then i'm at war we had it was playing a pretty peaceful game until then suddenly i'm blitzkrieging through their territory trying to knock out their cities so they can't do the quests um and then once that had happened uh we're even closer to the end game and now it's just me and this other this other player that both have huge territory we're close on points. Uh, neither of us, it looks like, is actually going to end up making another victory condition, so it's going to be decided on points. And our relations tanked, and we we suddenly found each other, you know, we were at each other's throats. And so suddenly we turn on each other, and our huge friendly border turns into this, you know, World War One trench battle as people are just trying to claw for little cities and everything. But it was cool because all these different things had created these different sorts of battles, right? Like the people were just trying to hang on for the quest victory. They just dug in and, and tried to fend off this, this rival. And so there you had just this huge like siege battle. And then with me and my neighbor that I ended up at war with at the end turned this Titanic, like, you know, uh, Hitler versus Stalin type war where we've got all the world's resources at our disposal, bottomless supplies of like crack troops and we're just hurling them at each other you know, like giants with toys. It was it was awesome. Uh, and it was, it, was, it was the sort of thing where those dynamics were driven by the fact the game wasn't actually about war. And it, you can still have and, and this is where I think kind of my, my biggest problem with Star Drive 2 is... Um, you can have a, a lot of aggression in a 4X game that isn't all about war because aggression is not just... War is not, like, the ultimate kind of um, version of aggression. It, it, it's just an, a, a choice that you could make. You can go, right, okay, I'm going to be an aggressive player, so that means I'm going to build a huge military and I'm going to go and conquer everyone. But you can also be an aggressive player who is a traitor. 
You can start bankrolling other wars and rebellions, or you can delve into espionage and, and do very similar things. Or you can decide, okay, I'm going to go for the science victory. But by doing that, you've unlocked all of this tech that other people don't have that might give you these powerful units that you can use to decimate anyone who decides yeah. to threaten your victory. You can still play just as aggressively without being a warmonger. Um, and that's where I th that's where I think I just get a bit bored of Star Drive Two because aggression just does boil down to sending fleets against other fleets and just kind of smashing them together. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know I, I said that I said in my review that it was this game of parts that there were things I really liked in the game and there were things that just left me really cold. Like we haven't even talked about ground combat uh and i think that's for a good reason can we just say uh, it's, it's shit <laughs> it's it's really not well developed um it's i don't fully understand like if when you compare it to what you're doing in the in in space for instance with the ship designer ground combat just doesn't it, it doesn't hold up its end like it shouldn't be there it's this it's this chore uh, you have to do to, to conquer a world or you can auto resolve, but that's, that's a little chance here. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's guys sort of plotting across a tiny little grid at each other and, and battering into each other. It's very much like a poor man's, uh, here's my magic type thing. Uh, except that even that's probably giving it a little too much credit, right? Cause it, it just doesn't have anywhere near that level of sophistication. Someone once compared it to XCOM, and I flung myself out of a window. Like it's kind of like XCOM combat. Because of Square? <laughs> because of Square is that it's turn-based, I guess. I don't know, and I I couldn't handle uh, it. I could not handle God. it. That's that. Yeah, that's that's pretty grim. Um, <laughs> that's oh my god. That's, it's like saying it's like a Doom clone in, in this day and age, right? Like oh, it's 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 Call of Duty Black Ops Three. You know the latest Doom clone. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that oh, that's awful. Um, yeah, it, it it it's it's not XCOM. Uh, it it has it has squares and it is turn based and and there the similarities end. Um, it's maybe like more a bit hexes, like but... Omerta, <laughs> uh, which <laughs> ouch. Yeah, oh, no, man. I think Omerta's yeah. Grand Combat or that was it's it was all better. Grand Combat. It was better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th so it, this is just one of those things where it's like, um. The way I'd put it is like likening it to writing. This is a game that I feel almost like needed needed an editor, mm. right? Where where it's like there were certain things where it's like this being in the game detracts from the things you've done well. Mm -hmm. This is this is a this is a bad scene in a good movie. So just cut the bad scene, uh, and, and and that sort of ended up happening with ground combat. I think diplomacy had some good ideas. I, I think it wasn't wasn't quite there. And by the way, did you get the sense the AI was not playing by the same economic rules that you were? Oh, definitely. It's but the way they could also like a really impoverished uh, you'd expect impoverished uh, faction who has lost all of the world suddenly has a massive fleet. How? It takes a long time to build a fleet, and they're expensive. Um. So yeah, that and was flying confusing. around like crushes you with upkeep. I mean, yeah, I. I I, we could assume maybe that it was hidden somewhere from before. However, when you start running out of money and you go into debt, stuff starts getting sold off to pay off your debt. 
Like yeah, just, it's super depressing. So I can't really see how they were able to field these sorts of fleets when there's nothing left. Um, it is a little bit odd. And they might, yeah, be, like, might be cheating a little bit. Yeah, I started to feel like more than a little bit. Mm. But yeah, there were definitely games where it's like, I'd look at these people and I'd be thinking they would have to be getting crushed under the weight of these ships. Yeah. Like, the, this just doesn't, like, this does not add up based on what I am seeing. They could not be this advanced and have this many ships and have planets as developed as they are. And yet they, they had it all. So, yeah, that, that was a little frustrating. But, yeah, I, I think I think overall it was just, it, it's, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a couple different things. I, I think perhaps if it were less of a purely military-focused 4X, if there were just, maybe alternate paths or at least alternate paths, even within fighting wars and the way, the way you win, uh, that, that could be something that alleviates the, the tedium a little bit because yeah, like you said, like this is not a game that once, once you've beaten it, it, I don't think it invites a lot of repeated play because you're going to end up doing very much the same thing. It's not going is you, you aren't going to be really exploring different lines of play that much. See, well, while I agree that all these things kind of needed to be flashed out and more options needed to be given, I think, alternatively, it could have just removed a lot of the shite. So, Empire Management is not good in Star Drive 2. It's not because it's broken, it's because it's been streamlined into oblivion. Um, it's very automated, it's very simple, it doesn't really make you pay attention to it. It's just something that's going on in the background that you occasionally fiddle with and then ignore yeah. for a couple of hours. I don't know why it's there, other than because <laughs> Mewtwo had it. It's, it's that, that's, I think, one of the biggest problems with Star Drive 2 is, is um, uh, they wanted to make uh, a new version of Mewtwo. When they should have, and if they really just wanted to make a very aggressive 4X game, I think a better game to ape would have been something like Sins of a Solar Empire, where they have a, an, enough diplomacy so there's actually kind of interactions with different factions. That's, but really, that's it is very funny all thing. about sending ships against each other. That's the entirety of the game. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually a game where there are like non conflict based. Uh, victory conditions, mm-hmm. but they're actually just ways to force other people to attack each other different ways. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's that's actually that's actually a pretty. It ends up being a slightly better 4x than 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 this game, uh, despite the fact that it's very much a traditional RTS in some ways. Yeah. So while it's kind um, of, I, it, I think it's strange because of course what, one of the biggest criticisms I have of Star Drive Two is that. There's, there's not enough of the, the fun stuff that I like, the empire management, the diplomacy, the trading. It's not elaborate enough for me. But actually, I think what really would serve it best is if it was actually even more focused on combat, if it was committed to the war. And that's really everything there is. Because th- that's all that's really important in the game. And, that, and it feels like that's really all that's important in the game. So why have all this extra stuff getting in the way of that? Um, and kind of the resources that were put into creating this half-arsed empire management and stuff like that could have been put instead into faction AI or you know or, or multiple routes that are still very aggressive and warlike but so, still giving more options. I, so I don't think the okay. So this is odd. I don't think the empire management was as bad. Mm. I think the game doesn't. The game starts to snap under the weight of the number of planets you need to colonize. Mm. And you need to colonize all of them because the AI will colonize anything that's not claimed. Uh, 
Uh, now, they patched it so that AI won't just enter your territory and colonize stuff that is yours, even if you haven't, like, planned colonists on it. They fixed that, so thank God. But, um, yeah, the AI, will, the, the AI will colonize all blank spaces on the map, so you need to, you may, need to make sure they're occupied by your people uh, once, once you cleanse them. But I, so I think it started to fold up a little under the weight of the uh, the number of planets you had to deal with. But it did feel like there weren't a lot of interesting choices to make with my cities, with, with my planets. Mm. Uh, I, I just, I you know, when I, when I start a new planet, I would just sort of queue up a huge list of stuff I wanted for it. And then I would leave it alone. And... Even though the planets are like limited by population and like size for how much you can build there and what what you can do with it, I never really felt those restrictions were all that restrictive. Like it didn't, you know, what I mean, it didn't it didn't matter. You as can also much. unlock like, a ton of text that yeah. upgrade it. Like you can even upgrade how many people can live in a bloody asteroid. <laughs> yeah, I had some pretty well populated asteroids, <laughs> but yeah, but it, it just didn't end up feeling all that meaningful. In terms of like the character of these different planets, uh, which was which was a little bit disappointing. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's it, it's an odd thing. I think Star Drive Two ends up in this in this place where there there's parts of it that I think are, are really really good. We we loved the ship design. We love we loved uh, the combat, um, but it's uneven outside of that. It's very uneven across all these different things it attempts to do, and it either needs to be, you know, probably better at everything else like you need to better diplomacy you know better empire management uh, better or no ground combat or like you said it, it needs to you know even narrow the focus more and just become just focus on on what it already excels at which is which is kind of this um virtual admiralty simulator i kind of i've I've been thinking a lot lately about uh, distant worlds universe which is yeah. uh, probably my favorite space 4x game um, and one of the great things about that is that you can actually play it any way you want because you can automate every aspect of the game. Um, and I have played that game as essentially a space RTS where I control everything that is military-based and just everything else just happens around me and you know ministers and other people like that are dealing with it. And I'm basically just a badass admiral. I probably wear an eye patch and stuff like that. Um, and that was that was fun. That was a lot of fun. I mean, I don't mind the fact that Star Drive 2 has all this other stuff going on. I just mind that it sometimes says, oh, you need to go and deal with this when it's actually really boring and I'd rather just someone else do it for me if I'm really meant to just be focusing on war. Um, and, and Distant Worlds allows you to do that even though it's about all aspects of the 4X genre. Yeah. Man, it would also be good if if AI surrendered or just became protectorate, so you didn't actually exter have to exterminate everything. Just to like give give you an out. I would love uh, some samurai bear vassals. Yeah, that would, that would be sweet. <laughs> um, so that uh, covers it for Star Drive Two and Four X uh, End Games for now. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney and Fraser at Fraser I Brown. Uh, Star Trek 2 is available now for $30 on Steam. It is developed by Zero Sum Games and published by Iceberg Interactive. Uh, this episode is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted over on idlethumbs.net. Uh, you can discuss this episode with other listeners and Idle Thumbs readers on the Idle Thumbs forums. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Good night. <laughs>